Welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hello, you guys. Welcome back to the Heart of Dating podcast and happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving 2022, you guys. I really hope that if you're listening to this, this Thanksgiving week, that your bellies are full, that you are just spending time with quality friends or family, or maybe you're listening to this podcast and feeling so alone. If that's you, then I want to encourage you to actually listen to last week's episode as well, because last week we talk about being single during the holidays and what it brings up for people, whether that's loneliness or comparison um, and how to balance feeling and that grief while also really seeking to have renewed hope and joy in this season. So if you need a pick-me-up at the holidays, please go listen to that episode. We really, really designed it to make you feel seen. Now today on season nine of the podcast, we actually have a guest speaker. We have a guest, Manda Carpenter, and I'm so excited to welcome her. I love her heart. I love what she's all about. She is authentic, raw, and real, and I just am so excited to have this conversation today because a lot of her story and what she shares is just so much of my story as well. And the theme of today's episode is being addicted to attention. Amanda talks about this through her story, which is very, very, very profound. And so I really hope you guys will listen to it with open ears and be touched and moved by Amanda. I also want to let you guys know she has an incredible book that just came out a few months ago. It's called Soul Care to Save Your Life. And it is powerful. I loved this book. I actually endorsed her book. And I just am so proud of her and amazed by her and highly encouraged that if you need some soul care, especially in this season, that you get this book for yourself. So let me tell you a little bit about Manda. Manda Carpenter is a writer, a speaker, and an advocate committed to helping women grow in their relationships with God, self, and others. She is a neighbor, question asker, and cheerleader of the underdog. Manda and her husband, Eric, are foster parents and host of a Longer Table podcast. They live with their son, Shia, in Los Angeles, California. You guys can check her out on Instagram at at Manda Carpenter and on Instagram, oh, and on her website at mandacarpenter.com. Whoopsie. I'm so excited to welcome Manda. Before this episode, I just want to let you guys know, if you didn't know, Heart of Dating Conference tickets are on sale. Right, meow. Don't know why I did that kind of lame and cheesy, but right now you can get our Heart of Dating Conference tickets. We are almost already sold out of the VIP tickets. So if you want those, actually, hopefully we're not already sold out. We may be already sold out by the time this is airing, but go ahead and check out the tickets because early bird ticket sales are on right now and they will end at Christmas basically, or right post Christmas, they will end at New Year's Eve, December 31st. And so if you want that discounted ticket, which is 15% off both in person and online, then make sure to hop on it now. Go to heartofdating.com forward slash HODC or HODC2023.com. By the way, if you can't make it with us in person in Atlanta, our online experience is going to be incredible. We highly encourage you to come online, come virtually. We really invest in creating an incredible virtual experience for all of our attendees. You will not have FOMO. You will not find it weird. You're going to have an incredible time. So if you can't make it in person, make sure to buy an online ticket because they are not very expensive at all and you're going to make incredible friends and community. Not only that, we have an exclusive app that launches a few weeks before our conference where you're going to get to mix and mingle, talk to other attendees, um, kind of use it as your own personal connection tool to DM people, make new friends, meet maybe somebody cute on there. You never know. And you'll also get access to all the content for three months post the event as well. By the way, for online attendees, we also have a singles party happening on Sunday night, which is going to be a blast. So it's going to be so much fun. And for those in person, yes, we got you. We have a singles party in person too. Don't you worry. Again, 
go to heartofdating.com forward slash HODC. One last thing, you guys, I am just stoked because next week we have our next masterclass for the Singles Academy. This is our monthly masterclass program for singles. If you are in a stage where you are single, recently broken up with, maybe you've never been on a date before in your life and you're just going through stuff, you are learning, healing, growing. If you want community, then I highly encourage you to check out this amazing masterclass community we have at the Singles Academy. Next week, we are doing the topic of forming deep, godly community. It's just something our community really wanted to talk about. So we're doing a whole masterclass talking about deep, godly community and how to actually form it, giving you practical tools and tips so that you end this year being able to start forming that godly community and start 2023 with an incredible godly community around you. So if that sounds like it'd be of interest to you. We actually have a free trial that's starting with the Singles Academy this week. So that means that you can basically sign up and get access to the masterclass happening next week taught by JJ and I for free. Oh, and I should probably let you know the masterclass is happening on December 1st at 5 p.m. Pacific. So that's Thursday, December 1st at 5 p.m. Pacific. If you can't make it, you will get a replay. It will be available to you within 24 hours, okay? And you will also get access to all of our past masterclasses, which includes our masterclass on loneliness, which is really relevant right now and was a super powerful masterclass, as well as masterclasses from Jamal Miller, Dr. Barb Hill, who's a therapist, and also some other masterclasses taught by JJ and I. All right, guys, that's it. I love the Singles Academy. I want you to be a part of it. If you're interested, go to Heart of Dating com forward slash TSA. Okay, guys, without further ado, let's bring on the amazing Amanda Carpenter. Hello, hello, my dear Amanda Carpenter. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, I love that we get to sit across from each other. It feels like we're in person right now. I'm so excited. Sometimes, you know, before we launched the video portion of the podcast, we did We tried to do video just so we could see people and then it was messing up the Wi-Fi. So then we deleted it and I did so many interviews where you couldn't see the person. And I was like, this is such a bummer. Like, I want to see the person. I want it to feel like we're in real life. So I love that I can actually see you right now. (laughs) I know, same. And we actually live kind of close to each other now. I know. At some point we can do this in person. Exactly, girl. Now that I, I'm like, we should have done this in person. If I had more foresight to know exactly, we could have done this. But needless to say, I'm so happy you're here. And um, girl, last month, you launched an incredible book. Okay. I am so excited because I did read it and got to read it in advance. And it is so good. And we're going to weave some of those conversations from your book into our conversation today. But your book is called Soul Care to Save Your Life. How Radical Honesty Leads to Radical Healing. And woo, that is such a good title. Will you just tell our people about this book? And of course, like about you too, because I want them to know who you are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm so grateful too. I just have to say, I'm so grateful that you were willing to read the book in advance because it's a huge ask for to be like, hey, can you read like 50,000 words? Um, But you said yes, and your endorsement was so kind. And I just really appreciated it um, being that this was my first time doing doing this. Um, I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I I know it makes me like never want to leave a negative review of anything that someone creates ever. I mean, not that I ever have, but I would never now because I'm like, do you know what all goes into this and the vulnerability? Do you know, for books specifically, like, do you actually know what it requires to slave and like you, you, it's like you have a chapter written. You're like, this is great. You finally get it done. Your editor comes back and it's like, take this out. This doesn't really make sense. Flush this out more. And you're like, no, like, <laughs> and it's so much work. <laughs> it is a labor of love. That is for sure. Yeah. Soul care to save your life. Gosh, you know, the book is about soul care, which we're going to talk about yeah. today, what that even means, what that is, what it looks like yeah. practically. And then the the kind of second part of that title, To Save Your Life, is because that's true of my story. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of a trigger warning for people who have had mental health struggles. That is a part of my story. And so right in that very first chapter, I got really vulnerable and just was honest, was radically honest, like I yeah. like I ask people to be and, and what I think is so important about my struggles, um, which I know we'll talk about, but for me, it, it 
got to such a hard point where I was definitely having like suicidal ideation and, and just mm. really thinking that I wasn't worth being here anymore, that it, that it would be maybe better off to not exist than to deal with what I had kept hidden. And so the book is really this journey of how do we heal the things that we would rather hide? That's, mm. that's what the book's about. And so like you named my subtitle, um, radical honesty leads to real healing. So I basically kind of like name it right off the bat that, Hey, actually here's the solution or here's kind of how I've healed. And here's what I'm going to be talking about in the book and the journey that I take you on. And that is a journey of radical honesty, because I believe that it is the only way we can experience real healing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just really grateful that people have been reading it and like, have received it so graciously because it is like the worst of me all in one book. Um, but I felt like that was necessary because how could I, the way that I saw it is like, how could I keep proclaiming God is so good. And like a relationship right. with God will change your life and all this stuff. If I wasn't willing to tell them or to show them what God has brought me out of. Yes. that's like right, If I wasn't girl. willing to expose the mess, then it doesn't really make much sense. And people are just like kind of dumbfounded, you know? Yeah. So this is like totally kind of a random note, but my fiance and I were talking recently about Tim Tebow and this is so left field, but we love, I mean, he loves Tim Tebow. He's such a football fan and nothing against Tim Tebow, but he's kind of untouchable. Like you don't really know anything about what Tim Tebow's like in real life. Like, is he like you, like he seemingly is like this perfect guy who never had his first, like never did anything bad before he met his supermodel wife, got married, is living happily ever after with all of his cutie dogs and it's all good but I'm like Tim Tebow are you like real like hello like I don't know anything about Tim Tebow I don't know his struggles his failures if he ever struggled to not kiss a girl before he kissed his now supermodel wife you know like those things where I'm like what because I I feel like there's zero relation like my fiance is like I can't relate to him at all because I don't know anything he's really struggled with. Yeah. I mean, what you're naming is that it's hard to, especially when it comes to like in Christianity and with testimonies, if that word still is used, like it's hard to trust someone and to like see them as credible if they won't let you in on their humanity. And so I I actually, this book that I wrote was not the book I set out to write at all. Mm -hmm. So the book I wanted to write was totally different, but that's kind of how these things go. I'm sure you can relate. Like you don't write the book you want to write. You write the book that like you can't not write and that it has to come out of you. And uh, my editor was amazing in helping me just tell the truth about really hard things that I didn't want to tell. But she kept saying, man, you're, you're asking your readers to go on this journey of radical honesty. But if you don't go first and you don't get radically honestly, honest with them, how are like, how are they going to like, you have to show them the way you have to go first. And I remember at that point, kind of like pulling back and being like, oh no, do I really want to write this book? Can we cancel my deal? Like I wasn't sure <laughs> I was ready, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm so glad now that like so much of my sin and shortcomings and failures are out there. I think if anything, it's only made people believe what I say is true about God to be true even more after knowing that backstory, after knowing what he's redeemed and restored and healed. Yes. And that is so powerful. And I'm so proud of you because that is the way people are going to be able to connect, see you, and actually feel so seen by your book. It's not like, hey, I did all these things right, do all these things right. It's like, hey, I failed miserably in many ways. And these are what I learned. And if I could impart something to you to help you A, feel seen and B, get out of this maybe even quicker than I did, like that's what I want to do. And I love that you do this in this book. Um, And your radical honesty is so profound and so beautiful. Um, And so today we're going to be diving into part of some of your story. And, you know, I'm titling this episode up in the vein of like being addicted to attention. And even as I was reading different parts of your story, I was like, man, I can so see myself and so much of your story and my past of just having these core wounds that weren't fully addressed and push come to shove, it led me to be look to look for my identity specifically in others and for me a lot in men. And so uh, early on in the book, you share really vulnerably about a story of infidelity and 
part of what led to that was just through time, and you could tell us more about this, but kind of being obsessed with male attention or like having clinging on to that, even like I can so relate to. And so a lot of these things, you know, this is happening in your marriage, but it didn't, that pattern obviously didn't start in your marriage. It's not like, oh, well, your husband is boring and now you're just going off to look for other things. So, and that's what a lot of people do. They're like, oh, well, I'm bored. I'm like, no, this, this started way before you ever quote unquote got bored. (laughs) Okay. And so I would love if you could share with us just maybe some signs of someone, maybe there's a person listening, right? Who's like, Ooh, I don't, I don't think I do that. Cause I would have never thought that I was a person that did that. I never would have identified myself as a person who so deeply craved male attention. And that was where my identity was. Like, I would never say that out loud, but looking back now, what are maybe some of the signs that somebody maybe is putting their attention or their identity and getting attention from the opposite sex. Yeah. I love that you're asking this question because it's a question about self-awareness. So my answer may not be applicable to everyone because soul care and self-awareness, all of this stuff is not a one size fits all. But what Mm. I will say are there are some clear indicators. If like me, a person jumps from relationship to relationship. They are never single. There's never a time where they're not in a relationship with someone. Like I look back on my relationships dating prior to my husband and there's overlap everywhere. Yep. And that's really embarrassing to admit, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to own it. There's Mm. overlap. It's almost like before I would end things with one guy, I was already talking to the next guy. So that's one sign It's like you're, you need to be uh, in a relationship and validated and getting that sort of fix from a male. Because even if I wasn't in a relationship with them, I always kind of had like some like guy, like a side guy. Is that weird to say? I just said side guy. No, it's it's like the, uh, what a picture is like a burner. Like I've said this before, maybe in past podcasts, but this is how I saw it in my life. Like you have a pot in the back corner, a pot up in the front, boiling water. You have something in the oven and like you have all different things on different burners and you just turn up the heat when you want that thing to start cooking. I don't know, you know? Such a good analogy. I'm going to use that going forward. I love that. Yes. No, it's true. That That's one sign, one indication. Another indication is that you alter parts of yourself mm. to make someone like you. You're essentially right. maybe not even consciously manipulating, but you're doing it again. It's from a deep wound, but you probably don't know that in, in real time. I, I certainly didn't, but like mm. I made myself whatever that guy who I wanted to keep getting that attention from. I made myself what, what I thought he wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. Um, so I altered parts of myself. I, I mean, I, I wrote very honestly in the book about the fact that like, I didn't want to have sex with a bunch of guys, but to be honest, Mm -hmm. I was really sexually promiscuous and really did a lot of things that I didn't actually want to do, but it's because I thought that it was the way I could keep them hanging on longer and coming back because I needed their validation. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I confused desire and love. I confuse wow. desire for love. And so I, I talk about that a lot in the book and, oh, there, there are so many signs, but those are some mm. of the like glaringly obvious ones. I would just also say there's this little voice inside of you. I call it your intuition. I believe the Holy spirit lives in our intuition. If we're in relationship with God. Yeah. And even though my relationship with God was messy and kind of filled with a lot, a lot of like religion and rules and behavior modification. I wasn't really in a good relational relationship Mm -hmm. at that point, but I would still say there was this little small voice. Some would call it intuition. I would say the Holy spirit is totally uh, aligned with your intuition and can live there was kind of whispering to me all along things that I just ignored. Yeah. Um, I remember like, if we can just get really real here, I remember throughout dating, um, being asked for certain types of photos and I'd be like, oh gosh, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this, but I did it anyway. Why? We don't trust ourselves. So we need to start trusting ourselves and believing that that voice, that gut feeling, that intuition, whatever it is that it can be trusted. I think if I would have learned to trust Mm. myself earlier, it could have spared me a lot of heartache. Wow. Girl, this is a lesson I learned a few years ago 
with the trusting yourself as well and the intuition because a few years ago, I've been a dating coach. This actually happened in the years where I've been a dating coach and I'm still learning. You know, that's the whole thing is like I can preach it all day long and then you still have your own blind spots and you're still testing out even the things that you are teaching other people. And so I, along came this guy and I had learned so much about being addicted to validation and like all these things and proving the proving energy that you were just referring to of like, I need to prove or change myself to make this person like me perform. And this guy came along and I remember before I ever actually dated him, I remember journaling. Could I actually date X person? I won't say his name. And I journaled that. And at the time I was like, no, I cannot because of X, Y, Z. Because I was, especially because he had all these male or female friends. He was incredibly flirtatious, this, that, and the other. Like in my gut, I knew this was not a safe person for me to date. And then he became really interested in me. And then he became really interested in me. And I was like, oh, all the other girls want this guy. And now suddenly he's interested in me. And so this whole list that I had threw it out the window, ended up dating him, dated him for, for months. And guess what happened? In the very end, that exact list of all those things I had written, I forgot about it. But after we broke up, I went back to that list and I was like, oh my gosh, my intuition knew the Holy Spirit told me, I knew my gut told me this is not a safe person to date, Kate. Do not date this person. I knew. And at that moment, I made a commitment to myself that I was, if I felt that at all in the beginning of dating, it was a sign, nope, not going to do it because I know where this leads. Because every reason, the reason why we broke up was because all those things I wrote down, but even worse, you know? Right. We ignore the red flags. We ignore the people who point out red flags when we don't even want to see them or aren't aware enough to see them. And that is one of the sure signs that it's probably a path of destruction. <laughs> exactly. Just so spell it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real. And so, you know, you started learning these things especially and had to really face it, obviously, in this season of infidelity. But for those listening, for those that are single, for those that, I mean, we do have some people that have been married and we have some people who've never been married and a lot of whom never been married. I always advocate for, you know, if these tendencies are existing now, what can you do to expose them now? Because let, like, let's talk about how does one start actually addressing if they have that, how do they start healing it? How do they get to that soul care? <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you're asking because, uh, the answer is radical honesty leads to real healing. We're going to, we're going to mm -hmm. break that down in a minute, but, but why I'm so glad you're asking is that you, you named it and I'll just kind of say a little bit more. My husband and I, um, hadn't been married very long at all when I was unfaithful. Um, mm -hmm. and I tell that story in my book, but let me just say, let me back up and just say, I never thought I would be the person to be unfaithful ever. And I'll add that no one wakes up one day and says, I think today I'm going to have an affair yeah. or I think today I'm going to become an alcoholic right. or I think today I'm going to rack up a bunch of credit card debt or what name the struggle name, the thing, it doesn't matter. Um, so it wasn't like I consciously woke up one day and just decided I was going to do that. And mm -hmm. I certainly never entered marriage thinking that that would be part of my story ever. Right. What happened was that you, you know, you said it already, this was a tendency. This was a sin that was honestly part of my story for a lot longer. I just mm. wasn't fully aware and conscious of it, which is why mm. I think it's so important that we need to get to know ourselves really, really well before we get into a relationship or specifically marry someone. Um, mm. and I don't want to use this as an excuse, but I got married at 23. It's a very normal age in small Midwest town. I look back now, you know, we've been married set over seven years now and I'm like, who let me get married at 23. I did not know myself. I was not ready to get married. That's a whole other conversation. If um, I got married at 23, girl, I'm like, wow. Like I know who I was dating at 23 and whoo, for me, for me, I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, Yeah. And I'm so glad my husband is almost, he's five and a half years older. I always say six. He always tells me it's more like five, but he's six years older than me. And that age difference actually has been interesting for us the way that it's worked out. But all that to say, the tendency, this, this struggle that I had, the sin of being addicted to affirmation from men, which totally ties into a wound that we'll talk about. Um, but that existed. And if I'm really honest, I think there was a subtle knowing of it, just not a full conscious, like I didn't mm. want to own it or fully know it, um, throughout dating. And it was laying dormant, like, you know, when yeah. something's there, but like, it doesn't flare up 
Yeah. I don't know if that's a good way of explaining it. Yeah. But basically it was there. So the whole time I'm dating my husband, it is like the thrill of a lifetime. You know, it's like the romance movie. It's perfect, perfect conditions. So that's not when it's going to flare up. Um, so then we get engaged short engagement. We did a six month engagement, which was not for any reason other than we just, I, it just worked out with our venue or something. And then mm-hmm. we get married and we did premarital counseling. That was really helpful. I highly recommend it. It was, it was hugely helpful, but still it wasn't until I think like marriage sort of induced reality. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is my life. Not every yeah. day is sunshine and rainbows and roses and going skydiving because he left a sticky note on my pillow saying, be down at, you know, what, like he used to do these huge romantic gestures. And it's not that he stopped doing these huge romantic gestures. That's not the thing that induced it, but just the reality of everyday life and <laughs> the recognition. I remember the first time I was like, oh my gosh, we're, this is, this is it. This is the person I'll have sex with for the rest of my life. Yeah. And for me at that point in time, I got really scared again. It ties into some childhood stuff and some wounds, but what I will say is if you think that this is just going to go away, the struggle that you have, or that thing, you know, deep down exists, the porn addiction or the struggle with attention from the opposite sex or Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever that is, if you think it's just going to go away and that marriage is going to heal it or solve it, it's like telling a married couple who's going through something really hard, have a baby. It's going to make everything better. Right. (laughs) That's the worst advice to give. A baby is only going to make life harder, right? right? Like marriage is only going to bring it out even more. And it's going to put things to the test and it's going to put you under a different kind of pressure and, and whatever is not healed, you can't, it won't be able to stay hidden. And so that's what, so much of what I write about is healing, whatever it is that you'd rather hide. Mm -hmm. That's the work that I hope. And I want for couples in general ongoing, but specifically for single people before they get married, while they're in the dating and engagement, if they can be doing that work to to get really self-aware, to take ownership and to start that healing journey that is going to serve them and their future, uh, marriage and relationships so well. Um, and it's going to probably spare them from a lot of heartache and destruction that, uh, they would have to go through otherwise, like, like myself to learn the lesson. Right. And it's, I see so many people, they're just waiting for that person, right? It's like, well, it's not right. So we're going to the next person because of, eventually you're going to find like this picture of two perfect pieces coming together and it's just so perfect. And like, and that concept of believing that the one, the soulmate, the perfect compliment, like it's so destructive because you might feel that way. Gary Thomas talks about infatuation and the reality that it exists for like 12 to 18 months, right? And so you may feel really infatuated with this person, especially in the beginning, and you may get married in that, even in that infatuation time. But like the the reality is the infatuation will wear off and you will be left with a real human being. And you are a real human being. They're a real human being. There is no person ever that will perfectly compliment you ever, 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 ever. And so that idea that you're going to find that and it's just going to make you feel happy and amazing for the rest of your life is so toxic to dating. But I feel like there's so many people that maybe have heard what I just said before, but they're not facing the reality that the way they're acting in dating is still playing that out, playing that story out consistently over time because they're like moving from people to people or they're like, Or you have the person maybe that isn't addicted to attention, but they're just not dating anybody because they're waiting for that one person that's going to be perfect, 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 you know? I know. I agree with you. I'm just over here like, yes, 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 yes. It's so important. And I just, again, not that I've been married a long time, but I feel like seven years now and having gone through infidelity is something to be like, okay, we've got some experience under our belt. What I want to just grab people by the shoulders and like shake them and wake them up to is number one. Yeah. The thing that you struggle with, like that doesn't get solved just because you marry like the guy you think is so handsome and perfect right now. Like, unfortunately you will one day wake up and be like, your breath stinks. Like, I don't yes. think you're that handsome in this moment. Right. <laughs> um, so that, that like fairy tale, it's just, it's not real life. And then number two, um, that totally just spaced in my thought. I had a, a second <laughs> thought. This is mom brain too. We've had a lot of kids. We've been foster parents for a while. Now. I know. And you're amazing. Oh my Shia God. is our 17th child. He's my first bio kid. Mom brain is like, and then mom wait, brain. what, what, what? No, what? that is like, it just spaces. <laughs> oh, I know. I remember this is perfect. <laughs> I just remembered, but that there's also 
and, and you named it, but this idea that someone else is going to be like your better half or, or even your half at all, you don't get a half. You're a whole person and you exactly. need to be a whole person because you're about to potentially marry a whole person or what needs to be a whole person. And if two people yes. are not already whole and they're trying to complete each other, oh, it is just like, it's a disaster. It is a yes. recipe for disaster. And I will say for the person listening, unless you have an addiction to attention and crave validation, maybe as much as Manda and I have, there is a level where sometimes dating is actually good for you because it will bring up stuff that you don't even know exists. These things that we're talking about, sometimes, like to your point earlier, the dormant stuff, some of it just doesn't get brought up until you are dating and you're like, oh my gosh, what is this thing that's coming up? This insecurity, this wounding, this tendency, this numbing mechanism that like doesn't really happen when I'm just in my friends and chilling and working and going doing my life. But as soon as intimacy is involved, romantic intimacy, it's like, ah, I feel like a crazy person, <laughs> like, you know, and those are the things that are real, actually really good. It doesn't mean you're incredibly horribly broken. It doesn't mean that you should never date again. It's just, this is awesome. If you are dating, it's, it can be a great opportunity to be introspective, to say, wow, what is coming up for me? And not shame yourself and not eliminate yourself from ever dating ever again, but to say, what it, what can I learn from the things that are popping up for me? Because I don't want to bring whatever is popping up into my future marriage. I want to start tackling these things right now. <laughs> this is why I tell people all the time. I've had people say, is your book just for married couples? And I'm like, no, my book was not written with marriage, even as like a thought, <laughs> like it's not for that. It's for anyone who wants to do their inner work and doesn't really know where to start. They yes. think they might have some things to heal, or maybe they even know some things that they need to heal and they want to heal. This is like a guide for that. It's 15 soul care practices that walk you through it. And soul care is ongoing. It's not a checklist. You don't just like, okay, I did that one today. Check moving on. It, it's practices that you want to develop so that they become habits in your life. We want to exchange right. habits. We want to take uh, unhealthy habits and exchange them for healthy habits. And that boils down to so much in relationship with other people. Um, yes. and so no, it's not just for married people. It's for everyone right where they are, especially if you're not already married. Gosh, I would love to not do, um, I would love to be more proactive and equipping people. And so if you're single, no better time than to do the work. Um, so you don't have to be reactive and repair things, but actually just go in healthy and healed and, oh yeah. And, 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 and the like tools, I said, the work never with stops, the tools, with the tools. Like, yeah. Yes. Because it like a, a mis, a misconception I just want to identify is that you're going to do all this work in your singleness. And then when you finally decide to date, you're going to be the perfect dater, never get triggered, nothing, no messy arguments happen. Everything is just smooth sailing. And like, that isn't it. Like, that is not my story with JJ. I could come on here another time and tell you the full deal. But like, the reality is, but the rea for me, what happened in JJ and I's story is like, I had done so much work that when things did come up, because when we started dating three months in, I ended up going into a season of de major depression and it was completely out of left field. And actually it was post my book launching because I just had so much going on and I was not managing my soul well at all during that time. And so I crashed hard into depression and we were already in a relationship and it was really, really, really hard. It was not fun. But what helped was I already had a an attitude of I'd already built habits in my life to be committed to growth and change. I already had a system of people that I went to in times of crisis that I constantly got import was pouring, getting poured into by, and I had tools in place. Now I had to get new tools because depression for me at the time was really new, but I had other tools to deal with my anxiety and different things. And I had this posture of I will do whatever it takes to not stay where I am. And I think that's the important thing is that in doing the work, you begin to pick up these tools so that the goal isn't perfection. It's to be perfectible and continually be on the journey of growth and healing. Yes. And we don't always see a return on our investment right away. So yeah. you may not have a quick ROI, a return on investment with the practices you put into place. Uh, it's similar to my relationship with God. I do certain practices daily and weekly, monthly, annually in my spiritual life, in my relationship with God 
not because I always feel the effects instantly. That's not really how it works. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe for me, I feel like in a mature faith, that's not typically how it works, Yeah. but I do them even when I don't necessarily notice the like cause effect. Like I don't necessarily see the effect of it or see that return on my investment right away because it's the practices that sustain us during the seasons that are most difficult. It's the practices right. that we have built in those habits. So like you said, it's like, even if you don't think you need this, it, it's better to develop these healthy practices and get into these rhythms now and not wait until you're in a crisis. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I would love to, let's, let's get into talking a little bit about where this comes from. If somebody is listening who has a core, a wound of, or an addiction to validation, you know, I've learned in my life, for me, something that's been so transformative is really identifying what we were talking about earlier is that it doesn't just pop out of nowhere. A lot of these things come from a place of deep wounding, typically that starts in our childhood. And usually there's one main root, usually. And then there's like that main root, then I picture it like a tree, right? So there's a main root and then it sprouts out into this tree. And on the tree, then there's like various trigger buttons, right? But there's a main root that starts forming that then looks like this tree that's like your tree of like a core wounding, basically. And so... Um, and learning this and understanding has been so transformative because for me and learning what my core root was of that wound and then seeing how it branched out into this tree with how it showed up in my life, I was like, oh my gosh, like the moments where I've acted most cuckoo, you know, and really been really triggered, it all came back to what was on that tree and back to that core root. And so I'm like, it brought me so much clarity and also helped me have so much more compassion because I could see where the root was coming from. So I would love to just share a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that you're bringing this up because I, I shared a lot of this in the book and I do it. I love that you're bringing this up and I can just disclaim none of this stuff when we, when we can trace it back to the root, none of it is an excuse to justify poor choices or bad right. behavior or whatever. Um, but it, it does allow you to have some compassion for yourself or the, for, or mm. for whoever it is that you're talking about in this case. Um, and it's really important because we can't, we have to get to the root to heal. You can't just yes. keep cutting off something that's dead and think that that's it. You usually have to uproot that right. dead root and get rid of it. Um, and so that's what doing this work is. And so for me, uh, I traced back the route to my childhood. Like you said, mm. um, I grew up in a divorced home and my parents have both been married more than multiple times. Uh, yeah. so had a lot of step and half siblings growing up. And particularly there was one day on my seventh birthday that I was at my dad's house. It was my dad and my stepmom at the time they got into a massive domestic altercation. Mm. And I, again, I was seven. It was my seventh birthday. Um, I called the police. Uh, it was severe enough without going into all the details. It was severe enough. I needed to call the police. My dad was arrested. Mm. My stepmom went, uh, got taken on a stretcher to the ambulance. She did survive. Um, I put my mm. half baby sister at the time who was a year old in a closet to like hide her. And the social worker came and talked to me. And anyways, this is such an important traumatic event in my life because it tells you so much about who I am and why I make the choices that I make. Um, but that story in specific, I always say like these catastrophes in our life are often the catalyst of our calling. That story tells you why I became a foster parent. I mean, if you really get into the yeah, weeds, it's very wow. evident why I care about kids who need temporary, loving, safe, stable homes. Mm -hmm. But that story also is a real picture too at the type of home I grew up in when it comes to men. Men were not safe. Um, the person who was your father figure or whoever, mm -hmm. uh, for me, that was my dad was supposed to be this father figure that I could feel safe around that would validate me and affirm me and love me. And I didn't get what I needed. And so in therapy, they've even said, oh my goodness, so much of what you describe as I would share, they'd be like, this is classic textbook daddy issues, like a mm -hmm. girl who doesn't grow up with a present father. And again, that is not to excuse my poor choices and my behavior, but it's to make sense of some things because mainly I actually just wanted to know why is it that my friend Kelly doesn't struggle with needing male attention all the time. Yeah. And I was always the girl in high school who like wanted the boy to like me. I just, I would do anything to have the boy like me. And why was I the girl that when I got married at 23 thought that this guy who I married, who's amazing, who's still my husband, he was amazing. He didn't do anything wrong, didn't lack anything, but yet I still, it was never enough. I needed more. I needed more. I needed more. 
It's because I never got to the root and I needed to heal at the root. And that root was a lack of a father figure. It was a lack of affirmation and safety from males in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's one of many stories I could tell. Right. And like you said, there's usually one big incident and a lot more on the branches. And that's true of me. And so I have this little saying, you've probably heard me say it online. There isn't a single person we wouldn't love if we knew their story. Mm. I say that all the time. And it's a theory that I have yet to not, it, it, it's always proven true for me. And mm. what I mean by that is I'm the girl who probably people would look at and they just hear like, oh, she had an affair. She was unfaithful or whatever. And they write these stories. And if they get to know my full story, again, it doesn't excuse or justify, but I think it helps you. It gives you compassion and empathy. And you start to go, you know, I'm not, I may not have that exact sin or that exact struggle, but I'm not better than that person. Yeah. And, and I apply that logic to so much that there isn't a single person if we, that we wouldn't love if we knew their story. And so I wanted to go first and share my story and basically say like, does this still make me lovable? And I know the answer is true because my identity is not the sum of the good that I do in this world. It's also not the sum of any one mistake that I've made. Mm, That's so powerful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for writing on the pages of your book. It's like, it's just such a profound gift to people. And I love that, that quote. Like if there's no way to dislike people once you really get to know their stories and how profound that changes, like how we see people and how we're curious. Like one of the core values that I've learned throughout the years that is really important to me is curiosity and compassion, really. But like getting curious about people that seemingly on the surface, like I just actually before this checked my DMs and like some internet troll had written me a horrible message about JJ and my relationship and blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I get those messages and I'm like, they're, I usually just like throw them to the side. But I had a moment of like, man, I'm so curious, like what's gone on in that person's life because they're they're projecting things onto me that clearly has to do with their own wounds and their own core stuff, you know? And so I don't have to let that, any of that land on me because I just throw it away. But I'm like, man, that's, it's sad, you know? And even when it comes to my story, our stories are similar in ways, like not identical, but the way like absent fathers or more passive father figures. And for me, that was the case. And it made me turn to the male attention because I did not get that in my my home growing up. And now I can look back on my story. People listening know most of my story, but I can look back on my story and I can have so much com- more compassion for my mom, my dad, people who I know were just hurt people hurting other people and honestly doing the best that they could. So now I'm not even mad. I'm not even mad at them anymore because I worked through, like at first I was very mad. You know, at first I was like, this wasn't fair. And I hate how all this landed and how it played out and what happened to me. And then as I worked through it, I'm like, man, like, I'm seeing myself as this child who was yelling and screaming and then turning to men for attention and just all these things. I'm seeing that like now you were probably that and it just played out in different ways for you based on your parenting and things that happened in your childhood. And so it's like that as as you start getting compassion for yourself and your story and the way you showed up in your life and how you've shown up even yesterday it's so much easier to then share that compassion for other people. Now, to your point, though, it doesn't excuse it. It doesn't like mean like, oh, I'm just going to let that person who has a horrible, ugly past keep treating me that way. No. <laughs> Hashtag boundaries, right? But like it allows me to say I am not going to be as angry with you or viscerally want to like you know, aggressively attack you for the things you've done. I can find compassion and forgiveness at the end of the day through time. And so... Um, I just think it's so profound to do the the hard work of digging, hard work of digging, because unless we dig and get to that core root, like you said, that weed will keep coming back. You know, those horrible pesky weeds in your garden. It's like you really have to get to the root. And sometimes you think you got there and the weed comes back because you didn't fully get it all. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. 
Totally. Yeah. It's so important. And there are so many ways to get to the root. Obviously there are some that are accessible for everyone. And then some that it's a privilege. I know therapy is not always accessible for everyone. So I'm really cautious in just saying like, go to therapy. Like I want that for everyone, but I am understanding that, you know, some people aren't in financial seasons to afford that. And that totally makes sense. But there are so many ways I actually break it down in my book, free ways, uh, inexpensive, and then more like, uh, investment ways to, do the awareness, find the awareness and seek out the mirror holders and to do this work and whether it's therapy and the Enneagram and solitude retreats and mentors and podcasts. And, you know, that's the cool thing, even though social media gets bad rap and there are so many negative things about technology and social media, there's equally as many really cool things. And that is you can be mentored by people, not on a one-on-one level all the time, but like you get to be mentored by people who are writing books and speaking. And I I've loved that my husband and I get to like mentor other couples and kind of shepherd them and kind of guide them as they navigate stuff that we've gone through. And that wouldn't have been made possible if it were for social media, but it's like, it's the, it's the way you use the tool. The tool itself isn't bad, but it's the way you use it. And so, um, yeah, yes. there's just so many ways to dig into the awareness, but I do have a question that I like to ask yes. that might be a gift for people. So this is a free way to get to know yourself better. The next time you go to hang out with a friend. You can either do this ahead of time or when you're actually with them, depending on the friendship, you'll know which direction to go with this, but you're going to ask them, what's it like to be on the other side of me? Mm, What's it like to be on the other side of me? Or what do I leave in my wake? Um, there's a list of questions. My book ends. Each chapter has five questions for you to get radically honest, um, to help you. And so, and then there's questions even beyond that, that I ask throughout the chapters, but that question by asking that is so good. You can either text it to them and say, Hey, if you're comfortable, like, I'd love to hear from you on this either via text or when we sit down together and, uh, go out for lunch or whatever, or you can just bring it on someone. Again, you determine that based on the relationship, but asking those types of questions is a great way and, and you have to show up with a posture of humility, ready to yes. receive. Sometimes it's going to be overwhelmingly positive, encouraging. And other times it might be a little bit like, oh no. But to be honest, we almost always, every time I've ever asked for feedback, there's very few times where I learned something brand new that I've never thought of. It's almost always like, yep, you're right. You're right. I'm working on that. Or <laughs> it's like so something much. that we know consciously ourselves, but we're like, do other people know that I'm actually doing yes. this or thinking this or showing up like this? Can I cover Am I covering it well enough that they can? Because yes. that's also I'm like, oh, dang it. They actually picked up on that. Uh, gosh, you know? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, but that's one of the easiest ways to start the journey of awareness yes. is asking for feedback. but you got to be brave enough to do it. That's like the one prerequisite. Are you courageous enough to do it? Are you willing enough to go there? Yeah. It's so, it's, that is so good. This is, have you ever seen the movie? Something's got to (laughs) give. This is Yes, but it's been a long time. Okay. Well, I just recently watched it and Harry, the main character at the end. I mean, he's a player for like the whole movie and all the things, but in the end he goes back to every single woman he ever dated and asks all of them, like gets closure, like asks them, like, what was it like to date me basically? So similar to your question, not that I'm suggesting you go back to all your exes and necessarily ask this question, but it reminded me of that for some random reason. Um, because it was so awesome because through that journey and being really open and humble, he was like, I realized like how much of a jerk I really was to so many women, how many things I was not seeing, how many things I was unconsciously doing, how self-centered I was, like blah, 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 blah. And it was a big part of his healing. But anyway, needless to say, very much to what you're saying of like having the humility to really ask people like, what do you experience of me on the other side? What do I leave in my wake? such a hard but profound question if we're really if we're willing to get into that courageous zone um i want to ask you this question and then we'll start wrapping up but i if somebody is like okay where do i even start i'm recognizing this episode is bringing up so much for me of like that is me like i am craving that attention or validation or there is like something core within me that's like i i know i need to stop like What are some things that person needs to do right now to just like stop, like halt the process and like start pivoting this way? Like, what would you suggest? I would suggest right away pausing. So to your point, actually like physically, literally pausing. I've been in somatic therapy, which is like breath body work. And so I'm learning to do more of that. But like 
I think so often we live at a pace that our souls can't keep up with. Mm. So if you're listening to this, but you're rushing off to somewhere after this and you don't have the time, revisit it later, but like pause and get really still and really quiet. Um, and if you don't like being alone or being quiet with yourself, that's a little indication of something going on, um, in itself, but start there and then start to talk to God about it. Or if you're not someone who talks to God, like find someone, one person, Mm. one person that you can talk to about this and not the internet. Uh, please don't take it to the internet, but go to one person that you trust or take it to God journal about it. Just start to open up and be radically honest, even if it's with just yourself through a journal or, mm-hmm. or to God through prayer. Um, or if it, if you have someone, if you're lucky enough to have someone that you really trust that can hold space for you, just begin to like, just let it out. Whatever mm-hmm. is coming up for you when you get really still and really quiet. Um, I would also just say, do not make choices that you can't take back. So one thing I think is true of my story with infidelity, especially is that, um, you know, people will say like, no sin is greater than another. All sin is equal. Sure. Fine. We won't get into the (laughs) theological debate about everything, but what I will say is that sexual sin is the most consequential. Mm, it is deeply consequential. And so, um, Mm -hmm. I'm not here to prescribe what's right or wrong for you or me or whoever. Um, we all know within ourselves that small inner voice, that intuition, that Holy spirit Mm -hmm. will guide you. But I would say that other like stop thing of like, when you ask like, what should they stop doing? I would not make any physical sexual moves in a relationship with anyone. Uh, until you get some some tools to heal and do some work and just to be really sure because you can't take it back. And it's really, really hard when you have regret around that. Um, coming from someone who has more than a more stories than I can count, um, related to sexual sin. So I don't know if that's even helpful. I hope I made sense. That's so helpful. No, it's so helpful because I think sometimes we like, we have these alarms suddenly are going off and then we want to make like these extreme moves. We either want to numb it through what you're saying, right? Maybe some physical stuff, or we want to exit all these things around us and make radical transformation in a day. Like I'm like for the person in a relationship right now, that's listening to this, that it's like, oh, I maybe am have these tendencies. Don't tomorrow just go break up with the person. Just don't make any sudden movement. You know, I think that's really important to process what's coming up for you first and make a dec- any decisions based out of peace and clarity. Yeah. Impulsive decisions are rarely uh, fruitful decisions. And so <laughs> that you may need to break up with someone for sure, but I yeah. don't think running to do it and being impulsive is going to lead to a fruitful ending. Um, mm-hmm. I think that wisdom withholds. So there's a difference between secrecy that's marked by shame and privacy that's marked by discretion. I don't think you need to tell everyone everything all the time. I think wisdom withholds for the right person, the right place, yes. the right time. And so that's why my initial reaction is like, just pause, like find space, create space. If you can't find it, because let's be honest, life is full. Life is busy. We've all got stuff, make space and prioritize, uh, being alone and getting quiet and just starting to either journal, like I said, or process with someone or with God about what's coming up for you to kind of start that journey. And then, um, yeah, just don't make any decisions out of a place of fear, make every decision out of a place of trust trusting uh, that God's got you trusting that you are good and you are worthy and you are loved. Um, I think when we make decisions out of fear, that's what kept me in relationships so much longer than I ever needed to be. It was like the fear of what if I never find someone else to love me like this again? Or what if I regret it when I, when I do break up with them or whatever the case It's like making those decisions based out of, from a place of abundance and trust and love is going to set you up for a totally different path. It's going to be a much more fruitful path. Mm, I so agree. Amanda, this has been so powerful. I really want everyone to read your book, okay? Because it's so, it's just like, it's it'll make you feel seen. Just trust me. It's so, so, so good. Um, and so we could keep going, but I, I'm going to, I like, there's so much to talk. I'm like, oh, other things are probably in my mind, but just go read Amanda's book. That's what you're going to have to do. Um, but I'm going to end with asking you the question I always ask every guest, which is, And we haven't had a lot of interview style podcasts this year. So this is so fun for me because I actually haven't asked this question in like eight to 10 months. So I'm like so excited. So Amanda, what is the final nugget of dating advice that you have for our heart of dating people today? (laughs) 
I love this. And I just want to say that I hope no one else has ever given this answer because then I'll be really sad. I want to be the first person <laughs> to give this answer. I'll let you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or it's maybe fine if it has. So I, the best piece of dating advice I could give someone is <clears throat> come up with your non-negotiables mm. and do not compromise on those for anything. That's great. Now your list of non-negotiables cannot be 30 things or you will never find someone because like you said earlier, there is no perfect person. Perfect people don't exist. <laughs> but if you can come up with like three to five non-negotiables, yes. the values that are most important to you that you are not going to waver on, that you are not going to compromise on and, and go into dating from a place of security of, I know who I am. I know what I'm looking for. It's not that I'm, you know, he has to be this exact height down to the inch. Oh my gosh. That's not a non-negotiable. A non-negotiable is like a value. When you think about, I want you to like, even close your eyes and imagine like, if you're married to someone and you're going through infidelity or you're going through miscarriage or you're going through just the trenches of life and the hardships, what are the values of a person that that you just, you can't compromise on that. You yes. want to exist when those hardships come because maybe not those exact ones. I pray not those exact ones, but hardships are going to happen. Yeah. And so don't search for a perfect person, but set out to see if you can find someone that does meet your non-negotiables that shares those non-negotiables. Um, that's so good. yeah, that's what I would encourage people. That's what I tell couples all the time. Or, uh, women all the time that are dating. And, um, so it's something I'm really passionate about and I hope that I was able to communicate that clearly. Um, well, it's, it is so important. I actually, so we, this has become a big thing that I've, that I wanted to share with people. And so we created a resource this year that it's all about finding and discovering your core values and non-negotiable. So exactly what you said. So we're going to, we're just going to link that you go to heartofdating.com slash resource. If you want to take what Manda just said and actually do it because it's a freebie that we put out there. Cause I was like, this is so important. Not enough people are doing exactly what you said. And I, we somehow like linked up on this, Manda, because I always say five, five non-negotiables. But in order to make your non-negotiables, you needed to first know your core values. Like what do you value in life? What is like, what is like the core thing that dictates how you run your life? You know, for me, two of my top growth or top um, core values are faith and growth. Those are just two. But how I run my life, faith and growth, like constantly posture of growth. So there's no way I could be with somebody who doesn't share those two core values or value them as much as I do. And so, 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 so important. I love that you brought that up. It's like, yeah. And I love that yours are general enough. They're broad enough that you're not like, um, totally like making it so narrow that, you know, it's so specific and it's like, that's kind of ridiculous. Like, let's be yes. mature. Let's open this up. So with growth, it's like, that can look like a lot of different things. It's, but it, it's not that you're asking like for a specific task. It's more of just does this person value this? Is this going to be their posture? Yes. Is this going to be the way that they choose to live their life? Because hopefully you're married to them for, you know, 30 plus years and yes. a lot, a lot of life can happen and change will happen. But if you can share some of those uh, common values, then that's going to carry you. Um, my husband and, and I have like people... opposite personalities, but we share core values. We are like yes. about as opposite as it gets in Same so many with ways. JJ and I, oh my gosh. like opposite humans. Insane. <laughs> yeah. We're like very, very different, which honestly makes us fight a lot. We bicker quite a bit, but yes. at the same time, um, that's also just us. I'm an Enneagram eight. He's an Enneagram seven. We got a lot of energy. Um, <laughs> but we're so different, but our core values are the same. Like for us, it was, we want to build longer tables. We want a life that is centered around how do we build longer tables? Like that was it. That was like the yeah. main thing. Now there's other things for sure, but that was like the main thing. Do we share that? So when over the course of our seven years of being married, his faith has gone through changes. I've gone through a lot of changes, but the one thing that like has stayed the same is like that mission. We're on the same mission together and yes. it's based on our shared core values. Yes. JJ and I had a night before we got engaged. Cause I was like, before I know if I'm going to say yes, like we have to for sure make sure we like, I think we are aligned on these things, but I need to make sure like we actually did this physical exercise that I make people do or have people do in this freebie. I was like, we both need to do this. Because it's so important to really know, like, going into this before I'm saying yes to commit my life to you, are we really, do our values align? Because that is, so many things can change. And he's goofy and type B and I'm type A, like completely through and through. And that's great. He's definitely an Enneagram 7. I'm an Enneagram 3. 
fine, all good. But the core values need to be there. Man, we could do a whole separate episode on this topic, but it's so important because when you get clear on who you are, what you value and how you're living your life, it's like, and you get confident on that, you will not negotiate that. You will not prove yourself and perform and start shaping those things once you get in tune with how important those things are to your core. Uh, So I love that advice. Amanda, this is so great. I'm so thankful for you. If people want to connect with you on IG and just any places, um, can you let them know where to do that? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's Amanda Carpenter across the board. So my website is mandacarpenter.com. On social media, Instagram is the one I'm primarily on. I actually don't use TikTok really. Um, <laughs> that's for people younger than me. I feel like I can't figure it's it out. It's so rough, um, girl. I've been trying and we're finally get picking up there, but I can't do the funny stuff. I'd only do serious. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not funny either. I'm like, I talk about your soul. I talk about things like that, like that matter. And I feel like social media has become this thing that's built for like the entertainment, funny, fast. And I'm like, oh shoot, I'm like your grandma on this thing. Uh, anyways, but it's Amanda <laughs> Carpenter. So if you're interested in following uh, along, that's where to do it. And I would love to get to know you. Oh my gosh, girl. Thank you so much. Again, tell, okay, the name of the book, Soul Care to Save Your Life. Go on Amazon or wherever right now uh, and find it. Amanda Carpenter, uh, Soul Care to Save Your Life. I really want you guys to get this book. But Amanda, thank you so much for coming on today. This is such a joy. Yeah, such a bright spot. Thank you. The Heart of Dating Podcast is created by Kate Warman. It is a part of the Converge Podcast Network. Our incredible editor is the one and only Scott Caro. Our theme music was developed by the amazing Christian Ledoux. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, or if you've never written us a review or ranked us on iTunes, we'd encourage you to do so because it helps us so much to get this podcast into more people's ears. We launch our podcast each and every week on Wednesday. So we'll see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.